0: Read along with me, if you would, please, starting in verse 1. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. There was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? The people thirsted for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod, which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. You shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went out to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other is the idea. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, write, this is our first time God tells us to write anything, this for a memorial in the book of Recount. In the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner, Yevanisi. And he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the privilege of this time. I know, God, that you have a special thing planned for us in this time where we all could hear you and know you. God, I know that every person in here came in with some form of expectation. Perhaps some of them negative even. They expected this to be a negative experience. Well, blow their minds, God. For those who came to expect to meet you, God, meet them beyond what they could expect. For those who expect to be taught, speak to them more profoundly than they could even have imagined. For those who expected to encounter you, may they encounter you in such a very real and perfect way that today, now, God, today, we would find ourselves in love with you, transformed. Today, God, that every one of us will personally encounter you in such a way, interface with you in such a way, that every one of us will be transformed because of what you do in this time. So, God, I pray now that you would minister Fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit that you would do through me what I cannot humanly do, that you would minister, that you would transform, that you would bless. And in that now, Lord, I pray, please, for each of us, whatever is going on, Lord, in our hearts and in our minds, don't allow it, Lord, in any way to interfere. Lord, don't allow there to be any shred, Lord, of distraction, of distraction, let every second be perfectly placed, I pray. And so, Lord, that we walk out of here transformed, permanently, utterly revolutionized by you. So, God, now have your, time, have your way. And, Lord, I pray that even as you promised let your word burst open and come alive for us, that it would be more pertinent and profound and personal today than ever before. And so, Lord, now I pray. Just bless you, and I seek to just be a blessing unto you in my surrender. And now, Lord, have your way, even as we sing. In Jesus' name, Amen. I would say this afternoon, as it would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the final say, let the Bible always be your authority. It's been, now imagine, we started at the book of Genesis. Now we're, in essence, roughly, now a third to a halfway through the book of, well, it'd be 40, 50 chapters. So a third of the way, I'm sorry, a quarter of the way through the book of Exodus. We're really making our way quickly, and at least in my opinion. We have seen now Israel delivered out of the Red Sea, but not del- delivered into the Promised Land. Delivered out of the land of bondage, out of the hand of the enemy, into, well, really into the route that's going to take them to the place God has for them. They started, when they left, they went to a place called Sukkot. Sukkot, by the way, it just means tabernacles or tents. It was a tenting site. They wound up between Migdol and the sea at a place before Pachirot, opposite Baal Balzaphon, where God split the Red Sea and they walked through. By the time we'll get to the book of Numbers 33, God will review this and he'll add a few places. Not because they added them later, but because God is highlighting specific events here. And the reason I say that is, is that it isn't like the next day they complained. And then the next day they complained, because it really kind of sounds like that. God is kind of bringing up the highlights or the lowlights. And to be honest, it's very much like our own journey from the moment we said yes to Jesus. And that becomes the problem here. That the moment we said yes to Jesus, God delivered us from the hand of the enemy. He delivered us from the penalty of our sin. But then God begins the beautiful act of transforming us from ourselves. In other words, he gets us out of Egypt the moment we said yes to him and then spends the rest of our life getting Egypt out of us. Now, with that, the places that we've seen, the wilderness of Shur, if you remember, was the place that means wall, the wilderness of the wall. And that's where we found bitterness that needed to be dealt with, the place that then would be called Marah, which means bitter. From there they went up at a place called Elam. If you remember, Elam is the place that was the place of the pools and the palms. Excellent, those of you who remember. So we went from a place of bitterness that God made sweet to a place where we could sit and food just fell out of the sky and we could swim. From there we've gone to the wilderness of Sinai, or the to sin towards the, the wilderness of Sinai. And there, of course, we see heaven's bread come down from heaven. By the time we're done with this particular portion, by Exodus 19:2, we will leave this area. So from 17 through 18 to the beginning of 19 will be the area we're in Rephidim. And then from Rephidim we'll leave and we'll wind up at Mount Sinai. Perhaps you're familiar with the place. That's the place where Moses will get the Ten Commandments. But perhaps you may forget that's also the place where Moses met God in a burning bush in the first place. So understand, the reason I say that is, I remind you, in Exodus 3, where this thing began with this deliverer, there was a guy that was just tending his sheep. Now, it doesn't seem like he's tending them very well in the sense that they're in a place that really is a bit barren. And if there isn't any water in the area, that's not a good place to take your sheep. They don't do well on sand. They need grass. They need water. But just the same, it's there that a bush catches fire, isn't consumed, and there Moses begins a conversation with it. Now, tells it to take his sandals off in the midst of the desert sand on a hot summer day. I get the idea what that would feel like. Now, now please follow me on this. Moses is not in an area he's never been. More than likely, Moses is walking around in an area we probably knows things are going to be dry, things are going to be rough. But it isn't like Moses is actually not following directions. Think about how easy it is. There's a pillar of cloud by day and a cloudless sky, and a pillar of fire by night. And I guarantee you, it's the only fire at, in the sky at night to follow. So in other words, whenever the pillar goes, we go. Wouldn't you love life to be that simple? But to be honest. If you're anything like me, don't you already have difficulty with the things God's already told you to to do that are already clear? I mean, if God made it that simple, to be honest, I think some of us would be even more guilty. Because we could actually play the game at this moment, although it really doesn't go with God, where it says, God, I'm not really sure if what you're saying is the truth. And God's made it really clear, but we'll play that game anyways. But imagine when the pillar leaves, and imagine the pillar starts going in an area where you kind of go, hmm, this isn't looking so good. I know what's in front of us here. Now, we've had to deal with bitterness because that's one of the things that God starts to show us. The moment you said yes to Jesus, God starts saying, well, let's start pulling up some of this stuff, Leon. What about this now? And what about this? And you start looking and going, wow, this isn't isn't so cool. Now, those are the stuff, by the way, before you came to Christ, you thought you had a reason to. You had a reason. I mean, come on now. That person did me wrong. That person was rotten and nasty. To me, I have a right to be a jerk back to them. And God says, yeah, but now that I've forgiven you, how does this look now? You know, Jesus like, look it, you're welcome to not forgive that as long as you're okay with me not forgiving you. But if God doesn't forgive you, you go to hell. So that's pretty high stakes. I think it's the highest stakes. So now we've walked away from that area, and as we walk away from that area now, we're moving away from the palms, the, remember that, the poles and the palms, that place where we can sit by the pool, watch the, sort of, you know, the food fall from the sky, and go, oh, this is nice, and we get hungry. And as we start to decide that there's a hunger here, there seems to be a problem, because by this particular point now, we have two battles being fought. Well, the first physical battle we have seen now in Scripture. Then you'd say, well, what about Pharaoh's army? But let me ask you, which Israelite got his hands dirty in that battle? Now, up to this point, understand that in chapter 13, when they left the land of Egypt, God did not walk them through the area of the Philistines because he says, it's not time for you yet. There's no battle yet. This isn't time for your battle. And there are times where God will do that. He'll pull you way out of the battle scene because he knows that you're not, it's not, you're not ready yet. But then from there, by the next chapter, which is chapter 14, by chapter 14, now Pharaoh's army shows up and as Pharaoh's army shows up, God says, now sit back, Junior, let me handle this one. So twice now we've had the potential of some kind of battle, but it hasn't happened. But now in this chapter we do. This is our first physical, real battle you face. And you are out of the land of slavery, out of the hand of the enemy, and there's still a physical battle to be fought. Now what's interesting is the place we're looking at is a place called Rephidim. Could you say Rephidim? Try it. No, look at it. There's one of me. Now I know I've got a mic, but you should have a little bit of and oh, in you. Refidim. Try it. Come on, my face should move. One more time. Refidim. Now, see, you say it actually a lot like what the word means. Because what the word means is to relax. It's almost like you can't say it. Refidim. You know, it's, and the problem is, is here's what we're dealing with we're dealing with Refidim. You've gone from a place. Where it was, you hit the wall, and you gone from a place where you hit the wall to a place that meant thorny or desert or, or deserted, and you go from that to a place here, and all of a sudden here we get to a place called, Raphedim, and also by the way means well it means balusters. It's interesting. Does anyone even know what a baluster is? Well, let me show you a picture. Maybe this will help you. Lauren, would you show that picture if you would please? These are balusters. So. These things right here, these little things are called balusters. They are those little kind of almost chess pieces that hold up a rod. Now, and, uh, let me remind you that in Hebrew, there are no vowels. So what you have to do is you take the letters. And by the way, there's no spaces. Try to work that one too. Think about the genius that had to go into translating scripture. You had just a bunch of string of consonants that, from which you had to figure out, wow, is that Hello, or yellow, or is that... I mean, they're just the things you'd have to work through. Well, with that, the word means both. It means a place of relaxing or ease, easing up, and it means ballast this thing, right? Down here, these things. And both of them, by the way, will play up into this quite well. Now, it tells us this in chapter 17, verse 1. Look at it with me. It says, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of Sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people, rib. Can you say rib? Rib is the word here for contend. It literally means to wrestle. The problem is, it doesn't say that four people did it, it says that the people. Now, think about this for a second. You've got a congregation of roughly about two million people. How many people have to have attitude to you before it ruins your day? Yesterday, we had the privilege of being able to walk into one of the local tea shops, and one rotten, grumpy customer was enough to set almost the entire staff at that place on edge. They were just bumming hard. Now, it doesn't matter how many people average could just be nice and smile. It's the one kind of nasty person that kind of clings to you when you try to go to sleep at night. Does that make sense? But imagine multiplying that by, I don't know, two million. Now, by the way, here's where we go. They contend or they wrestle, they argue with... Although the difference is, is that they're wrestling without Moses wanting to wrestle back with Moses. And they said, give us water. Now, who are they speaking to? Simple quiz. Who are they talking to? Okay. Uh, uh, now, get out of refidim for a second. Who's, who are they talking to? They're talking to Moses. And notice, what are they saying to him? Give us water. They're talking to Moses and saying, give us water. So here you are. God called you to lead a group of people. And you're like, I, I'm not qualified. God says, I didn't ask for you to be qualified. I said, I asked you to obey. So you're like, all right. And all of a sudden, people turn to you and go, hey, where's my water? And you're like, great. I don't have your water. I'm not a water bringer. And, it's like, and it says, the people start complaining. And here becomes the problem. We're at a place called resting place, or a place of ease. And at this place of ease, the people are arguing with Moses. They're yelling at Moses because they're like, you need to give me the water. You need to give this to me, that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you wrestle, contend with me? Or, because, why do you tempt or test, this is the word, Nassau? Why do you test the Lord? The people thirsted, and there's our first time, by the way, we're going to see the word thirst, and scripture is going to be through this. And the people complained, notice, against Moses. And they said, why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill our children and our livestock with thirst? Okay, here's our problem at the beginning of this. We've stopped at a place of ease. Our things are nice. We're chilling a little bit. Now, I remember when I used to get up early, and it was a quiet time, man. We had a quiet time, and if the kids got up early, I got up earlier. That's just what happened. You know, I'm going to be disciplined. Man, I'm going to really, you know, before I go to sleep at night, I'm going to make sure. Now, and what happens is, sooner or later, it becomes like a tradition. And now you just do it so you can tick your box at the end of it. But in the beginning, I did it because I was in love. And because I was in love, I couldn't wait to get up and speak to the Lord. I couldn't wait to get up and say, I know you have something to tell me. But now it's a little bit less. I'm easing up a little bit. Well, what makes me ease up? Can I just say there's a hint in our scripture here? Because all of this, by the way, is a prelude to an attack. Are you aware of that? Israel did not run after this Amalek group. Amalek attacked them. Follow me on this. Well, the people, I think, are our clue. Because they didn't, at any point in this, cry to the Lord. They turned to Moses and they said, Hey, 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 where is it? Where is my satisfaction? I'm thirsty now. Why aren't you meeting that need? Did you get it? And it's something that we're all stuck with. Somewhere down there, we get addicted to the tangible. You know what happens? And you watch it. You see some girl, and she's lived a life that's been really unvirtuous. But she fell in love with Jesus. And the moment she fell in love with Jesus, she felt pure. She felt clean. She felt brand new. But the problem is, is somewhere down the line, she forgets, well, she forgets that the Lord really can be everything. And she starts to go out looking again. Now, it starts with something that looks relatively innocent. It starts with, I'm going to find a Christian man. But the question is, what are you trying to find a Christian man? Now, I'm not telling you if you're single and you don't want to be single that that's a sin. But I'm telling you, it can be the case. what happens is it starts to move from, I need a man. And the reason I need a man is because I haven't had that touch in a while and I have that feeling that when my heart flutters and when a person stares in my eyes and Vivaldi plays and doves are released and chocolate flows from the sky and, and, I, oh, and I lose my breath and it's like a Disney moment and I think, oh. And we don't turn to God at that moment and say, God, I know which part of this is good and which part of this is just Disney. I mean, what part of this is, needs to be right? What we do is we start going on the hunt. And by the way, when you go on the hunt, it gets scary. The scripture says, listen, that even the bitterest thing is sweet to a starving soul. Hey, if Delec gets hungry enough, she'll eat her sock. If Delec gets even hungrier, she'll eat my sock. Now, but it says, but the satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. When you, get, you ever get so full that even the great thing it doesn't even appeal to you anymore? You can walk by a Brazilian barbecue and you go... I'm full. Now, that's a rare occasion for me. That's a lot of grilled meat. But normally, the Brazilian barbecue is probably the reason why I'm so full. I can't smell it as well. But you get that point when you're satisfied, all of a sudden those sucker things that are just substitutes really don't appeal anymore. And let me tell you, here's the warning, friends. Somewhere in turning from that that place of pursuit of the Lord where we kind of ease up a little bit and relax, well, The moment you start slowing down, see, I did this, and my eyes were on Christ, and I was following Him, and I was chasing Him. The moment I started slowing down, I started looking around. I started looking around and saying, "Well, hey, Dash, how long do you pray this morning? Okay, good. I'm still praying more. Or hey, you know, how are you doing? Did you read this morning?" He did, but not as much as I did, or whatever. And, you know, was like, so I'm cool. I'm cool now. And then what happens is sooner or later, I have to go out to find someone backslidden just to make sure, I'm like, have you read? Haven't read in a month. Good. I'm better still. You know, I'm like, I have to lower my standard to where, you know, like you talk to the unbeliever, and they're like, I'm not as bad as some people. Like, who, Hitler? Well, good. Pat yourself on the back for that. That's who you want to compare yourself with to make yourself feel better? You drop your standard. Now, look at, we are on the verge here of an attack. And what happened is, is the people look and they turn to Moses and going, What is your problem? Why can't you meet my needs? Because he's not God, that's why. And God didn't deliver those people so that he could raise up a guy so they could fall in love with him. And I'm just going to go straight for the jugular. God, Jesus did not die on the cross so you could hang out with his mother or was for you to kiss a painting. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you could go talk to a guy in a little box somewhere. Jesus died on the cross to be with you. And I don't want to be mean about other things, but Jesus died on the cross to be with you. And I don't think he likes anything in between that. Anything. And that includes me as your pastor don't get me in between, you guys. I would love to be the friend of the bridegroom like John the Baptist that says, look it, I'd love to introduce you, but I need to decrease, and, you, and he needs to increase. Because in the end of it all, if you really want to bring me into this thing, it gets really wonky. You know, I meet this beautiful girl, and I'm like, hey, let's spend the rest of our life together. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, hey, but, but I've got this friend, Dash. And I'm just really kind of hoping the three of us can hang out for the rest of it. She'd so be like, kind of really, that's, that's not right. There's something that's kind of, I got uh-oh feeling about that. And you should, right? Imagine Jesus saying, I'm dying for you so you could be with me and my mom and this guy and this guy in a robe and this other guy you're never going to... I mean, it's like, look it. And, and not that people can't be servants of the Lord that can be put in a robe or a whatever, but in the end of it all, please, please hear me on this. If you don't have a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, all of that other stuff means nothing. You could stare at the penicillin. You could sniff the, the hypodermic. You could tell me what color it is and even how many cc's are in it, but until it is in you, it ain't fixing you. And these people are looking going, Moses, what's the deal? And notice it says, why did you, did you notice that? Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Funny, Moses has been following a cloud too. Let me remind you of that. And they've walked into a place and you can see Moses could turn around and say, well, what would you do if you were Moses? Would you say, hey, I'm following the cloud like the rest of you? I'm just a guy seeking to follow the cloud like you're seeking to follow the cloud. You are seeking to follow the cloud, right? Well, the more you slow down. I mean, let's face it. There was a time where you were in the front of that line. I mean, if you're following the cloud, some people are in the front of the queue. Does that make sense? And somewhere down the line, you were at the front of the queue because you really wanted to see where that cloud was taking you and you were excited about it. And then somewhere down the line, as you started to walk, you kind of slowed down a little bit and just started checking out who else was in the group. And, hey, she's kind of cute. And I'm going to, oh, these guys seem kind of cool. And, hey, you know what? I could still be cool and be in the middle of the the queue. I could still be cool and be at the back of the queue. And you're at Rephidim. You don't even know it. Because you're at the place of ease now. Ease up, man. Now look at I don't chase after God with all of my guts because it keeps me close to Jesus. I chase after the Lord with all my guts because He deserves it. And He deserves even better than that. But I'll give Him at least as much of me as I can. Now, why he wants that much of me as all of me. It's still kind of a mystery to me, but I'll take it. And in this, now please understand, Moses gets to the point where he thinks they're going to kill him. Now, today that probably won't happen. I mean, in this place, if there isn't a lot of water, one thing there is a lot of is rocks. So stoning should be a fairly easy thing. It isn't like you have to go to the store to buy them. They're everywhere. Today it usually looks like divorce It looks like an estranged family. It looks like people who hate each other, friends that can't be friends anymore. It looks like a church split is what it looks like. It looks like a discernment ministry where all it is is about how they hate churches that actually are seeking to serve the Lord. Friends, look at. They contended with Moses, verse 2, verse 3. They complained against Moses. Why have you brought us out? What does Moses do? The one thing you better do at a moment like that. He cried to the Lord. Now he could have cried back at them, and I do like the word for "cry" here. For what it's worth, it literally means to shriek. And the idea of this is Moses is not kind of just going, He's going. Ah! They're, go- they're going to kill you. How do you respond? I mean, even the most sedate individual is probably going to look and go. Uh-huh. You're not going to go, oh, I think they're going to kill me. You're going to cry out to God. and, And I guarantee you, this is a very heartfelt crying out. This is a shriek to God. And He says, what do I do? They're ready to kill me. The Lord is never surprised, by the way, of this. And can I just say this? If today you've slowed down, you've backed off, and you've been telling yourself, the moment you have to keep telling yourself it's okay, let me ask you something: Who are you saying it's okay to? Well, it's okay to do that a little bit. It's okay to back off. Now, do you realize you're speaking to the Holy Spirit when you're saying that, right? Because who else is telling you that that's not okay? You're going, well, you know. Okay, it's a little, it's a little that, it's a little this. If I could watch that show, okay, I mean that show isn't technically porn. It's. Just a little off. And, it's, and, and we wonder why we get to where we are. Because somehow we decided that Refidim was a really neat place to stay. And you were setting yourself up for your attack. The Lord, on the other hand, will let you get thirsty. He'll let you get dry. If He's the source of living water, and you're not walking with Him like you should, don't expect to prosper and I'll just say it as plainly as I can the Lord wants you miserable when you're not with him when you're not wanting to be with him because he's the source of all good things so why would he let you get them elsewhere so you keep drinking salt water and grabbing handfuls of oil and sand verse 5 the Lord said to Moses go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your rod, which you struck the river, and go. So, don't miss this. Moses has had this rod for quite a while. Don't tell anyone I did this. It's our secret, okay? Um, check it out. H It's our last name. Anyways, um, it's mine. Sorry. Uh, for 40 years, he's carried that staff. That staff has protected him. It's protected his sheep. On one side, if it's used to drive, it's used to jab, to goad those sheep. Come on, let's get going. Come on, boys. Come on, let's get going. Same way that Jesus will use, by the way, when he talks to Saul, and he says it's kind of hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? I've been pushing you every time someone says you want to hear about Jesus, and you say no. God's like, how does that feel? You know, how do you like that? You're like, oh, that person, he's so happy all the time. He's so happy all the time. I don't know. I'm okay just being a pseudo-Christian. God's like, yeah, hey, how do you feel about that now? This is what a real Christian looks like. On the other end of it, it's been used to hook, to pull back, to say, stop, 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 you're going too far. Interesting thing. But God says, the same one that you struck the river with. Now, that's going to tell me a particular motion. I better do it this way for the safety of the stick. Now, do you think that Moses kind of went like this? With the water? I kind of get the idea. Struck, by the way, literally means to beat. It means to strike. So I kind of get the idea when Moses turned the water, when God turned the water to blood, and Moses took that thing and he went, wham! And that would have been a really cool thing for Spielberg to build on. But he didn't. Mo, Jove, Moses, whatever one. Um, Prince of Egypt. But get the idea of this. Because in a minute, he's going to do that again. The same stick. And I think it's interesting what he's going to hit. Look at it carefully with me, Okay. Because, now understand, Moses is afraid he's going to die. Because, let's face it, what are the odds that in two million people, one's a psychopath enough to start chucking stones? What are the odds? I think they're pretty good, or pretty bad, however you want to put that. Just, look, go before the people. And here's one of the first things he says is, don't go alone. Look, if you're in that place where someone is trying to make you the thing, stop doing it alone. Bring in a crowd. Bring in others. So he brings in elders with this. He says, look it. It says, take from you the elders of Israel, take in your hand your rod, which you struck the river, and go. But look at this statement in the next verse. I will stand before you. Okay, here's my question to you. Where? Look at the verse. You tell me. Simple, simple quiz. Chapter, chapter 17, verse 6. The Lord is going to stand before Moses where? What does it say? On the rock. Okay, can you say on the rock? Come on now, you, can, you, should get, you should be able to get this. These are simple questions, right? Where is he going to stand? Look at how smart you sound. Great. Now look at on the rock in Horeb, which means desolate. And you will strike the rock. Okay, I don't know if you've really figured out that, but look at that, think about that for a moment from a matter of placement. So what happens here is that God is going to stand where? On the rock. He's going to stand on the rock. Now that's really weird. So what we got here... Sorry, no one's safe around here. Sorry, bro. All right, Here's the rock. God's going to stand... Look, at I used to be God. Isn't that awesome? Um, and he gets to stand... He's going to stand where? On the, on the rock. And what does Moses have to do? He's got to strike the rock. If he's going to strike it like he struck the water... Have you thought about what that's going to look like? Now, what do you think that points us to? Think about that for a second. Because let me actually take you to a scripture in the New Testament. For those of you who are fairly quick to get there, go ahead and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for a moment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says this, Speaking of these people. And they drank of the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock which followed them. And that rock was, what does it say? Christ. Do you know who stood on that rock, friends? Jesus stood on that rock. Is that the weirdest thought? Jesus stood on this rock. So, here, so put all of this together for a moment. Moses says, they're going to kill me. And uh, they might kill me if I put this in rock. They're going to kill me. And God says, okay. God says, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to go stand on a rock. Then you're going to go hit me. And I'm going to provide water for everyone. Is that the craziest thought? Now, which one of us wouldn't think, God, why would I want to hit you? Do you think Moses got the idea that Isaiah would say that he was bruised for our transgressions, crushed for our sins? Do you think Moses got that? Do you think Moses could put together at that point that God would have to be beat so that we could have life? That by his stripes we'd be healed because we all like sheep have gone astray each to our own way. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Do you get it? What's that? No, no, I'm, I'm still going to use it. Does it make you nervous? All right, now, follow me on this for a second. So what happens? It says here that he struck the rock it says, and Moses did so on the sight of the elders of Israel. This is, and then of course he called the place. Now look at. Let me give you a few verses just to kind of tap on this, to give you an idea of this. There's two million people exactly. How much water do you think you need to give two thousand people or two million people water? But let's add to that. You're in a desert, so let's just say the first I don't know thousand gallons that are going to flow are probably going to get sucked into the ground. You with me on that? This is what it says in Psalm 78:20. He struck the rocks so that the waters gushed out and the streams. Overflowed in psalm one hundred five forty one it says he opened the rock and water gushed out, and it ran in dry places like a river and isaiah forty eight twenty one it says they Did not thirst when he led them in the wilderness. He caused the waters to flow from the rock for them. He also split the rock and the waters gushed or torrented out. Now Jesus said, by the way, in the Gospel of John, that if we would come to him thirsty, that out of us would flow torrents of living water. In other words, it isn't just that he'd kind of fill you till you get thirsty again. In John 4, he told the woman that when if she were that was thirsty would come to him, she'd never thirst again. By the time that he actually gets to the, to the feast of tabernacles where they do the libation or the water sacrifice, he stands up at that day where everyone's supposed to be silent. He says, If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And out of you will torrent living water. God has never intended to just make you so that you're not thirsty anymore. God has intended to make you so that everyone near you is no longer thirsty as well. He's never intended to pour into you so that you could just be fat and full. He's intended to pour into you beyond what you can contain so the rest of the world will be infected by your contagion. Wouldn't that be amazing? Look around this room. If this many people got so infected by Jesus Christ that every person you bumped into got Him on you. Okay, got Him. Got Him. Well, you got it. Anyways, so got Jesus on Him. I mean, and people go, what's that? And you go, that's Jesus. We'd be afraid to say it. But if you're so full of Jesus, it's going to fall out of your mouth because from the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. Well, what happened then? you go, what's that? And you go, that's joy. What's that? That's love. Why'd you bump, you know? I mean, imagine, and, and you know, let's face it, we're put in places where we bump into people all the time. Excuse me is one of the most common things said here. Next to sorry. And like, that's all right. I just thought I'd share Jesus with you. Ah! That's all right. There'll be someone else that'll come in this place. And then the, the beautiful part about this is that God is intended here for none of them. And what's interesting is that Isaiah is telling us the truth, and I believe it is. It says, listen, they did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. Well, they didn't thirst, but they said they're thirsty. Could it just be that they're so used to drinking anytime they wanted to, even as slaves, that they were thirsty when they weren't thirsty? What they did is they looked and they saw no water, and the moment they saw no water, they went on thirsty. Sometimes you put on a movie, you have to have popcorn. It's like the strangest thing, right? I mean... Three minutes ago, you were full. You couldn't eat another thing on your... Certainly vegetables left on your plate. I can't eat a thing on it. But the moment i movie I can eat a whole bowl of popcorn now. Funny how that works. Some people, it's a tub of chocolate ice cream. It's like strange how that works. And you walk in the desert, and you go, man, I'm thirsty now. I'm resting. I'm chilling. Things are cool. I'm backing off. I'm easing up. Look at what happened. Because that's what the place is called, and that's what's happening. And guess what happens next? So he's going to call the place Meribah, and masa. And those are the words for test or tempt. It's the word for contend. Meribah, like a hrib, like the word for wrestle to argue, to yell at. And look at what it says in verse 7 as we move forward. It says, because of the contention of the children of Israel, and they tempted the Lord, so he calls it contention and tempt. Because they see, is the Lord among us or not? Now let me ask you something. This is what God said was tempting him or testing him. You know what it was? The people said, "God, if you're really here, prove it. Isn't that what they're saying? Is God really among us here or not?" I mean, God couldn't possibly be here, right? Funny, if you're following the Lord. I mean, how hard could it be for you to know whether the Lord is not there or not? The pillar's there? It isn't like the pillar has left the building. The pillar's there or it's not. right? You look up and go, "There's the pillar. Is God really here or not? If God were really here, I'd have water right now. That's what they're saying. God, if you were really here right now, I'd have a husband. God, if you were really here right now, I'd have a girlfriend. God, if you were really here right now, I'd have that job. I'd have that house. I'd have that car. I'd have that. I'd have that. I'd have that. that. God's like, look, you're testing me now. You know that. Don't be pushing my... In other words, if I could say it in a simple sense, that's God saying, you're pushing my buttons. You really want to do that. Versus God, if you were really here, and if my heart was really yours, I wouldn't be saying, if you're really here, would I? I If my heart were really yours, and I were really hungering for you, I wouldn't be looking around to see what else I could have. I'd be satisfied. And that's at this moment that people are still saying this. Now, here's the thing, and God is showing that because even at this moment, even though they're going to get water, they're still going to get attacked. So here you are. you got your water. God, if you're really here, give me water. Moses is like, all right, well, you're going to have to hit me to do it. The rock splits. The water becomes a river. And now the people are having all the water they could possibly drink. But you know what's interesting is at a moment like this, you're in the middle of the desert. As you're in the middle of the desert, I think it's really interesting. It would make sense to me that a group would show up to fight you. In a practical sense. If you live in the desert and another group lives in the desert, there's no, if by virtue of being called a desert, it's probably pretty dry. It'd be weird if it wasn't, right? So you're in the middle of a desert and all of a sudden you strike water wouldn't you expect a group of people to kind of pop out of somewhere and try to get the water from you? That would make sense, wouldn't it, practically? But it's so much deeper than that. Look, it says here, by the way, first of all, let me just kind of take you back for a minute. In Genesis chapter 36, verse 12, Esau, a man of the flesh, has a son. And and it's like, you know, I think he's actually in The Lion King, but that's another story. But he has this son, and his son has a concubine, and his son and his girl have a baby. And this baby's name is Amalek, valley dweller. It makes a lot of sense to me. And this valley dweller has always been a symbol for the flesh. Every time you see this guy pop up, it's going to be a thing like we're dealing with the flesh. And this is your first battle you're going to fight. And you know where you find it the most? It are in, And it makes just perfect sense to me. The moment you think I deserve a break, look at you know God told me to have a Sabbath, but He never told you to have a Sabbath from Him. Actually says, don't grow weary in well doing. God tells us, look at don't ease up on that. Never ease up on the throttle of pursuing the Lord. I want to challenge you. You can't overdose on Jesus. Try. Well, some people won't like me. Can I just say, some people probably don't like you now. Have a nice day. So, at least give them a decent reason to not like you, a reason you can feel better about it. Some people won't like you because of the hair color, because of your skin color, because you're tall or thin or fat or short or whatever. Some people won't like you because you're British, and some people won't like you because you're not British. Some people won't like you because you'd rather lean to labor or rather lean to conservative or whatever the case is in the end of it all. There's a million reasons not to like you. Some people won't like you because you're a vegetarian, some people won't like you because you're not a vegetarian. Some people won't like you because you... Think about it. The, the list could go on forever because you don't live your whole life recycling. Because you don't strip down naked and tell people that they have to stop killing animals with the rest of the PETA crew. Whatever it is. Some people don't like you because you listen to rap. Some people don't like you because you don't listen to rap. So, okay. Get over the fact some people aren't going to like you. Now, I'm sorry if that bursts your bubble. Jesus made it really nice to us. He says you'll be hated by all nations. So that really sounds awesome, doesn't it? But you know what? I'm loved by the one I get to spend eternity with. And when everything else burns and falls and fades and drifts away, I still get to be with the one. I'd really hate to reintroduce myself at that point because I was too busy being friends with everyone else. When James says, when you seek to be a friend with the world, you seek to be an enemy with God. Do you realize that? Because the enemy's the opposite of him. If Andrew had an arch enemy and all he lived for was to kill Andrew, the more I became friends with that guy, the more I would become enemies with Andrew. That's just simple math. And with that, then think about it. The world stands against our living God. So which one do you want to try to be friends with? Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. Amalek. According to Deuteronomy 25, when this is reviewed, by, by about verse 17 or so, it'll actually tell us. Remember what they did to you on the way? Just listen to this. And I believe this is now the same verse it says, or verse 18. It says, How they attacked your rear ranks, the stragglers who were in the rear, when you were tired and weary and you didn't fear God. I'm sorry? He didn't, or they did not. Amalek did not fear God. There's no surrender of God in your flesh nature. Who did they attack? They attacked my grandma. They attacked the disabled, the people who were at the back. But not everyone at the back is disabled or elderly. Who else is back there? To be honest, some that just weren't really interested in being in the front of the queue. There's maybe some that were at the front of the queue at one point. You know the ones that really were excited about the Lord, that really wanted that? And now... They're just kind of cool being in the back somewhere. That's enough, you know. I'm not going to blend in. You're not going to like me anyway, so what difference does it make? I'll just stick back here. And all of a sudden, boom, this thing comes out of nowhere and they start to attack. Now, how do we win this? Now, by the way, can I just say, if it really is about this, this makes perfect sense because Galatians tells me in chapter 6, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. What you sow, you're going to reap. That's the bottom line. And then he says, look at, there's going to be a battle that's going to be constantly fought. And that battle is between your flesh nature and the Spirit of God. Now that you've surrendered to God, you have two operating systems and you get to pick which one you want. But if I'm empowered by God and I seek to be blessing Him and I seek to be surrendered to Him, I will never lose the battle. And it's quite simple in the end of it all. We'll see that here. Can I just say this? The battle between your flesh nature and the Spirit of God is just going to be a battle between two dogs fighting and the one that wins is the one you feed. And You wonder why it is you seem like you have such a poor spiritual life, but all of your friends hate God. They're really not into God. Everything that you're watching, everything you're listening to, everything about it really isn't about surrender to God. It isn't about celebrating God. Now it's all about you. And it looks good, because at first you're like, well, I need to think about me. It's like, why do you need to think about you? God's thoughts for you outnumber the sand on the shore. And if God's thoughts outnumber the sand on the shore for you specifically, there's no more room for anyone else to think about you. God's thinking about you enough. Actually, get consumed with him and watch what happens. you will have you thinking about other people too. And this is what happens. Moses speaks to a person we just get to meet now in verse 9, and his name is Jesus Yehoshua, Yeshua, originally his name is Hoshea. we'll find out later, which means salvation, gets a name changed by Moses to Yehoshua, Yeha that means God, yeah, like Jehovah, Yehoh. So his name means God's salvation, and that's Yeshua. That's, and by the way, that's how God introduces him. He doesn't introduce him as Hoshea. he introduces him as Jesus. That is the Hebrew name for Jesus. And it's interesting, how do I get, how is he introduced as a soldier? The person who's going to have to beat this battle. And Moses, by the way, isn't going to fight it. Now, if I have my math right, I mean, think about it. At this point, Moses is somewhere in his 80s. He's in the early 80s. Joshua's a lot younger. He's 60. So, you know, you know, from great-grandpa to grandpa to fight this battle. So Moses says to Joshua, choose us some men and go and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod. Now, the word for what it's worth here, the word matah. Can you say matah? Matah. Now, come on. Did you, are you all still in Rephidim? Alright, here we go. Mata. Mata means branch, interestingly enough. Interesting because the word is going to be used... Well, here, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Don't miss this, though. The idea of this is simple. That God wants to make sure that we recognize when God says in Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies' footstools for your feet. Then this is the Lord will send a rod of strength out of Zion in the midst of your enemies'. We know that to be the Savior, the Messiah. The word rod is the same word we have here in Matah. It's his rod. Tomorrow I'm going to stand on the hill with my rod of God in my hand. Interesting, he doesn't call it his rod. Notice, it's the rod of God. Joshua did as Moses said to him, and he fought with Amalek. Moses, Aaron, and Hur, Hur, by the way, means whiteness or whitey, went to the top of the hill. And so what was when Moses held up, or makes white, So it was when Moses held up his hand and Israel prevailed that what happened? Take a look at it with me. It says it happened as Moses is, excuse me, Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. So the battle was somewhere between his holding up his hand. Now, Moses is standing here up on a hill. There's got to be an interesting thing. There's a battle taking place in a valley with a group of people called valley dwellers. That's what Amalek means. You tend to think they might have the advantage, like they know this area a little better. But I think what's kind of interesting is we're actually fighting at the water source. I mean, I don't know if you realize that. It isn't like Amalek said, hey, you guys, come on over here so we can fight. We don't want to get muddy. They're all drinking. They're all at the water, and Amalek attacks them. So where are they? They're at the water. Did you get that? Ah, they're all there attacking them. And all of a sudden you kind of look up and there's, a old, there's an old guy, actually, three of them, standing up on a hill. Oh, let's not worry about them. To the Amalek, you would imagine they would appear inconsequential. They're three old guys. Well, assuming Ur is as well, hers as well. But down here in the battle, you're looking out for Joshua. You're looking out for Yahushua. And as that's the case, somewhere down the line, and how long do you think it took before Moses figured this out? But he said, I'm going to stand there with the rod of God in my hand. Now where did he get that information? Do you think God told him? Do you think he made that up? We really don't even know. But somewhere down the line, he kinda of holds this thing up like this. And it's like, ooh, things are looking good. This is great. Wow, yeah, wow. Oh, no, no, not looking so good. Oh, it's not... Wow. That... Oh man, things are looking good again. Wow. Wow. Oh, now we're losing again. Oh man, I wish I could wish we could win again yeah, yeah, oh, we're winning again, we're winning it. Oh, now oh, no, we're out, we're sort of winning. We're kind of, no, we're losing. We're sort of, wow, what's going on? And isn't it amazing? Somewhere down the line, there's three guys up there. One of them's got to figure it out, right? And I mean, if I were Joshua and I could have figured it out, I'm like, get that guy's hands up. Hmm. So what happens is, Lauren, could you put that picture up again? it says that they put him right, they take a stone and they sit him down on the stone. And Moses has got to hold his hands up, right? And they're going to go help hold his hands up too. And the place is called, as well, Batistra. Now look at that picture for a moment. Do you get it? Of all the places where God would choose this, a place where Aaron, Moses, Moses, her, ah, uh, Rod of God. is this kind of a cool how God worked that out? Now, now, think about this with me. Now, let's put this in a real practical sense as we wrap this around, okay? I think I'm going to do this right. I All right. <laughs> okay. No, Okay, now work, th- work this with me. Here we are, we're easing up. We're easing up. And how did I ease up? To be honest, I started looking to my wife to fulfill. I started looking at my children to fulfill. I started looking at you guys as a church to fulfill. I started looking at the ministry to fulfill. I started looking at the world to fulfill. I started to say, all right, this will make me happy. This will definitely make me happy. No. (laughs) All right. I'm not sure who those are, but those are really cool. Don't worry. All right. No, now follow me on this. All of a sudden, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm less happy. But the problem is, if you know this, the moment you stare in that, you like dedicate yourself to that nonsense. So what happens is, I try harder. You know, it's like it's not a cow, but I'm still trying to milk it, and I'm pulling harder. And it's like, but it's not a cow. I'm like, I I need some milk. I need. I'm like, it's a sweater. It's a jumper. Stop pulling on it. You're not going to get any milk from it. Oh, now the sleeves are like six miles long. No, 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 no. Because somewhere down the line, the moment you started, you feel really dumb if you don't try harder, right? But what you're trying harder to do is you're trying harder to make somebody else fill the hole that God has made for Himself. So then you're like, come on, Dash. what's the problem, man? Why am I so unhappy? What's wrong with you? That's that a weird statement. happens all the time in marriage happens all the time in ministries. The guy's like, man, if I just had a building. I'm like, no. If, I just, if we had a bigger, more people. What? Jesus is in the building. How much bigger is it going to get? Heaven of heavens can't contain them. I'm glad you're here. But either way, either way, I would still, I'd still want to share just because I know the Lord's here and I'd want to bless him. It's great to have Landon here because playing drums by yourself isn't as, as... Well, anyways, yeah. But anyways, follow me on this. So somewhere down the line, you eased up. You tried to get it from someone else. If I hang out with my crew, things will be cool. Now I'm going, to be, look, I'm going to be... But what happens is now, if we're going to hang out and we're going to all be cool with each other, I need to be, like, cooler than you guys. I need to be, like, the alpha cool guy. The alpha leader. Now, if we're about being tough, that means I have to beat up more people. Maybe you. If, it means if, if it's about me being, like, the swinger, that means I need to be with more girls than you. See what We did. And you, when you get there, then you feel worse about yourself. So then you have to feel like you have to try harder to make yourself feel good about yourself. Do you see the hole you're digging? Because you eased up somewhere down the line. You stopped just going, Lord, it was you and me, and everything was awesome. And I backed off a little bit, and I'm easing up on the queue, and here I am. And all of a sudden, boom, I get attacked. And I'm like, what in the world is this? How can I be a Christian and want this? Really? i want to get wasted i want to go sex i want to go do this or that and i know those things aren't right i know god's not going to smile and why why do i even but it's not like just a thought comes in my head and i'm like well now i'm like well, it's like i'm there's an internal battle going on what happened i'll tell you what happened you started looking around and you sat still long enough for the enemy to go oh wow they're really not clinging to the Lord. Say, let me tell you when you're the most dangerous, when you're sitting in the lap of God. Because when you're sitting in the lap of God, the enemy wouldn't want to go near you if he had any brain cell working at all. does make any sense. And that becomes the problem, of friends. Because we'll try harder and we'll try harder. And it's like, you know what? If the church will fulfill me, if the people will fulfill me. But in the end of it, all, we're just turning to something tangible. Because I need to touch, I need to smell, I need to see it. You know, what happens like, well, I go to church so I can hear someone teach. Well, then you might as well sit home. But God is more than that. We come to interface with the Lord so that he could use us to bless each other. What would happen if we all became the members of the body and functioned as a blessing to each other? What do you think that church would look like? And then we became contagious and overflowed and we poured out on the rest of the world around us. But somewhere down the line, what's going to happen is, is you want to turn back to that. And you know there's a battle to be fought. And you know what happens? Then you'll say, but Pastor Tony, I know what happens. man. I tried. And I was like, you know what? I'm like, okay, I'm going to change this. I realize that, man. I sat in that lesson and I know that's going to be a rough one for me. To, I know there's going to be some changes and I tried, but, but I tried and then I got tired. Man, you just try to do it alone? Can I just say maybe, I, I'm sure every person needs an Aaron and a her. Somebody that can kind of sit up and go, you know, I kind of noticed that your arms are looking heavy. Hey, what happens when my hands are up? I'm surrendered. That's what it is. Come out with your hands up. Things all of a sudden it stopped being about surrendering to the Lord and started being more about you. See, when I'm not surrendered, it's going to be about me. Interesting, if I'm not surrendered, I'm going to want you to surrender to my will instead of me surrendering to His. Do you get that? Do you have anyone like that? Do you have an Aaron? Aaron, by the way, remember, means light bearer. It means somebody that helps shed light on something. Do you have somebody like that? Light bearers, by the way, could be horribly irritating people when you need them. Real accountability, everybody loves accountability when you're doing great. Because that's a cheerleader. Dash, way to go, man. But the moment when you really need, and I'll tell you, you'll know when you need accountability because that's the moment the last person you want to talk to is that person. Because a bear is going to go, dude, man, I noticed that I kind of smelled something on your breath. or Dude, I noticed that to so changing your weakness with people. now. I was like, I noticed you're kind of staring at those girls a little bit. Or hey, I noticed that, man, we walked into that store, the first place you went is you kind of slowed down by the magazine aisle. I noticed, you know, and it's like, and people go, oh, shut up, man. Come on, you don't know what you're talking about. It's nothing, man, right? But, it, but someone's trying to shed light and they're not doing it because they're not going, ha, 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 I didn't look because I was busy looking at you looking. Right? They did it because they were trying to help shed light so there's going to be, I mean, do you have somebody like that? When your hands are getting heavy, they go, hey, man, I know you when you're, on your, when you're in the zone. And when you're in the zone, you love people. Your heart breaks for those people. You'd go anywhere. You'd do anything. You wouldn't count the miles. You wouldn't count the cost. You would just do it. You would sit with that person for hours, and it wouldn't matter. But you know when the moment the phone rings and you see the caller ID and it says them, you're like, oh, you know something's wrong. Just not you at your best. Man, you at your best. But you at your best is just you transparent with the Lord flowing through you. Now that person, man, that person. Do you have anyone that's like look at man that hands going down? Can I just dare say, there was one at his right hand and one at his left hand. And for every king and every person, there was a guy who sat as his counsel on his left and a guy who sat to execute his will on his right. That's why Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down because the job to be done was finished at the cross. Finished at the cross. Can I just say, left hand's input, right hand's output. You get it? Can I just say, there's got to be somebody at your left hand that will say, bro, look at man. I know what it's like. Can, I, can, you, can you be honest enough with someone to tell them? Look, at, let me tell you what it looks like when I backslide. Now, there's certain people. Some of you were raised in a religious home in such a way that your backslide, most people won't know it. Now, if I were to backslide, you'd know it. I'd be punching people. It's pretty easy. And that's where I came from. But some people, it's like it's just a loss of joy. You're short a wick. It's apathy where there used to be passion. This last week, I was reading again in, in Scripture and where the Lord told me through His Scripture, He says, look, at, everything's to be done fervently. And I love, I love that word. And so I, I, I got this. All right, Lord. And this is my own thing. So if this is just for me and it's not for you, that's okay. But, but please hear me for just a quick second. We're getting really close to the end on this. If you're the kind of like, how long is this thing going to be? In Galatians, by the way, He tells me not to grow weary. Six nine. And doing good. In Second Thessalonians three thirteen, he tells me not to go weary in doing good. But what I really got hit with was in Romans twelve eleven. He told me, "Look, at God, I want you to be fervent in spirit." Do you know what fervent means? It means you turn it up. That means you don't have the pilot light on. That means you're cooking. That doesn't mean that you just the car's at idle, man. This thing is floored now. Those wheels are spinning. I said, all right, Lord, what would you want me to be fervent in? And It's interesting, there's two things. There's only three times beyond that where the word is used. In James five, sixteen, he says, look at the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. He goes, I want you fervent in prayer. I don't want you to be like, and Lord, Lord rest food. Amen. Have you ever, if if you're honest, is there anyone who's willing to be dishonest? We've gotten so non-into prayer, that you actually started praying like you were about, if you pray before every meal, you're going to go to sleep and you started praying for God to bless the food just because that's just sort of, and you're like, for bless the, f- oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to sleep now. My grandmother used to say, if you fall asleep when you pray, it's good luck. Is that the weirdest statement you ever heard? She how messed up my family was. Anyway, I'm like, oh my God, am I fervent in prayer? I mean, fervent in prayers and just like God, oh, I just really God. Like, ah. Maybe you're mellower than I am, but it's like, are you there when you're praying, or is it just like, all right, Lord, just like, uh, all right, let's move on. The other thing, by the way, he tells me is in First Peter four eight, wants to be fervent in love. That's selflessness, man, I, I wish I could be that. I want to be that. Because the only other time he uses it is in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, when it says that the entire universe is going to melt in fervent heat. And I'm like, God's like, I've got fervents for you. And if you remember that last one, it'll help you be fervent for the things that are important. Because everything else is going to melt. And I guarantee you, when God's heat is fervent, God's cooking. Back in our text, friends, listen. Do you have an Do you have an errand? Somebody that will shed light, that will be decent enough to shed light. Can you tell people? Look at can I tell look at can I honestly? And so look at you can all help me, my Aaron, in this. Before I knew Jesus, I hated people. I'm honest. I hated people. I just just love them. I I was a musician. I'd gotten to a place where people just I just people used to say if you could be on a deserted island and they'd give you one thing, what would it be? I'd tell them a fence. And uh in all of that the moment that I stop being patient and stop because I honestly, whether you know it or not I delight in you guys, I genuinely delight, and I know that my family will tell you this. I delight in what the Lord is doing, and i I even giggle over just how good God is in your lives. I absolutely love that i'm like i pr- I pray with all my teeth showing when I think of you, but if I stop walking away from the Lord. I'm sorry if I stop. If I stop walking close to the Lord, let's do that right. I won't be as fervent in that. Do you have an Aaron? But it wasn't just an Aaron, it was a her too. And a her means makes white, whitey. So on one side, someone's like, hey, bro, I noticed things are getting a little weird with you. Yeah, you kind of. On the other side, there's the person who says, hey, can we take that to Jesus right now? That's a her. A person is like, let's make that white now. Let's get that where it belongs. Can we go back to Jesus now with that? Do you have a her with you? Because if you don't, you need one, or two, or ten, or fifty. And can I just say, if you're not one yourself, it's pretty likely you don't have them. God's called you to be an Aaron, and he's called you to be a her. And the more you are, and again, don't be irritating. Don't go about looking. I mean, let me see if I can find something wrong with meaning so I can tell her. The Lord knows how to tell you at the right time when something's going on. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know what? I'd really love to see your hands up. I'd love to see surrender. When we sing I surrender all, I'd like it to be something fervent. Not just, when is this going to be over? So how does this end? In verse 12 it says that they held his hands steady. Do you see the word steady there? The words amuna. And Khumuna or means that which is faithful, consistent. He had two friends. Moses had two friends that could watch and help hold him steady. Hey, do you have bad defaults? I bet we all do. Some people it's like a rough situation happens, you're like, I'm gonna go out drinking. I'm gonna go out. Some people, to be honest, it's not even a sin for other people, but it would be for you because you're changing it for God. Like, I'm just going to watch six movies in a row. You know what? I'm going to trade in the Lord for the Lord of the Rings because at least I know that I could stop thinking about. I'm the Lord's, I could really love for you just to crawl in my lap so I can be your comfort. God's like, look at you, really are precious to me. And that's so much better than my precious. <laughs> that wasn't planned. Verse 13 Joshua defeated Amalek. Joshua, the Hebrew name for Jesus, he defeated Amalek and all that involved Amalek. With what? The edge of the sword. Huh. That's interesting because if I'm not going to walk in the flesh, I'm going to walk in the spirit. And if I'm going to walk in the spirit, what sword does the spirit yield or wield? Ephesians 6.17 tells me the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And can I say, all of a sudden, the Word of God comes in triumphantly and starts slaying the very things that were just seeking to enslave me. And this is what God says. And it's a bit funny if you think about verse 14. Write this thing down that you're never going to hear this name again. But if you're writing the name down, how are you never going to see the name again? Right? It's there in a book. Like right for this is a memorial that you're never going to see this name again in this memorial book that you'll never see this name. And the only logical answer is there's going to be a place where this book isn't. Hmm. I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek. Now, if Amalek is really my flesh that I'm going to be battling, he's going to go, look, and I want to warn you, for the rest of your life, that's going to be out there. Now, I'm not here to make you paranoid. I'm here to let you draw close. You want to go to Rephidim, expect Amalek to show up. Let me just warn you. Now, I don't know what your Rephidim looks like, and I also don't know what your Amalek looks like, but I can guarantee you Amalek's out there, and I can guarantee you Amalek would love for you just to sit down and start complaining about God and God's people because somehow your needs aren't being met by human things or by tangible things when God would love to meet you instead. And you're like, oh, but God hasn't given me a son because, or God hasn't given me a, a friend or God hasn't given me a, a husband or God hasn't given me a this or whatever. And God's like, look, at, I, didn't, you, I never said I had to give you that. The need you have underneath that this isn't even going to meet it or I would have given it to you I want to be the answer to that and you're playing tangible games with me are you in that place right now are you feeling dry you're feeling like, man I'm thirsty in my soul I don't know, man, the more I try it, the more money I get, the less happy I am. The tough, the more I beat up the next guy, the, more, the less happy I am about it. This should satisfy, right? I got more stuff, I got more things, I got more friends, I got more power, I got more fame, whatever. And why what does it give me? I'm more miserable and I feel weirder for it. Jesus is like, look at. I'm going to take all of that stuff and I'm going to go and I'm going to take it, and I'm going to put it on me and I'm going to nail me to a cross so that all of that can die and I want to give you a new creation. And Jesus died on the cross in its simplest sense because we're guilty people without him. We've earned hell, but Jesus would rather die than live without us. So at the cross, he hung with your penalty and my penalty. And there as he hung there, your penalty died. But also, by the way, that emptiness died and that thirst died. If you're willing to let him. Because Jesus didn't just die, three days later he rose again. See, Jesus didn't just say, let's just get rid of the old you. Jesus is a new you there in its place. That's the idea of the resurrection. There's a new life, a new creation now. This is look at, Just because you're a new creation does not mean that the new creation won't fight old battles. So, man, actually, to be honest, this is a new battle for Israel. And can I just say, the flesh really is a newer battle in this sense. Dead people don't fight. Before you gave your life to Christ, you were spiritually dead. Now that you're saying, well, why am I struggling? Why am I battling? Because you're a living being. And can I just say, part of it is, can I just be for the moment an Aaron and a Hurdy You say, you guys, let's get up and let's get to the front of the queue again. I want to get at that place where I'm absorbed in Christ. And people look and go, well, I hate you for that. Well, well get over it. At least you hate Jesus. You know, at least I can get over that part of it. But I look, at, I just want to love Jesus. And in that, that I want to overflow, and for those who are still starving and aware of it, and those who are thirsting, and and it's like the answer is going to be there for them. So it ends with this. It says, Moses built an altar and he called it the Lord's My Banner. Yevanisi. He said, the Lord has sworn that we will have war with Amalek from generation to generation, and there is the promise. But there's two promises. One is you're going to battle this. You're going to battle this. I guarantee you'll battle at more Rephidim than you will other places. But, God says, before we even make sure that you know there's going to be this battle, write this down, it's going to be over. There's going to be a day you'll never battle this again. There's going to be a day you won't even... And God doesn't say, I'm going to just wipe out the battles. What's the word he uses? I'm going to blot out... What's the word he uses? You tell me. What does it say in the scripture? The remembrance. You won't even remember that you struggled. You won't even remember you had that battle. You won't even remember that you felt addicted to that or you were addicted to that. You'll never have to battle that again. Do you know what it says in First John? And this is what I want to end with as we go to the cross and pray. It says, we shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. It says there's more than that. And the twinkling of an eye tells us, I mean, that is like one twelve hundredth of a second is that everything will be transformed like this. And when that happens, we will be like Jesus because we will see him as he is. But then he says this, everyone who has that hope in himself, so let me ask you before I finish that, do you have that hope? Are you aching for that moment when you get to see Jesus face to face and shed all of this Shed all of the Amalek stuff. Shed all of the Egypt and just be f- absorbed in Jesus. Do you ache for that? Because this is what it says in First John. Everyone who has that hope in himself is as pure as he is pure. Is. Not will be, but is. God already gives you credit. <laughs> how strange is that? Just aching to be there, that's how he sees you. Because if I really have accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I ache for that. So as we go to prayer, have you accepted that gift of Jesus Christ? Have you accepted his death on your behalf? His payment for your sins? His resurrection to be the Lord of your life now? If you have, then let me ask you this. Where are you at in the queue? Are you in the back? Have you been chilling at Rephidim? And the Lord says, but I love you. I want every bit of you, because he gives us every bit of him. My challenge today is, can we ask the Lord, Lord, please bring me to that place again where it's just you and me. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you so much for your beautiful word. I thank you for how timely. I thank you for where you've gone in it. And I pray right now, Lord, for every one of us, myself included, that we would not be in a place, Lord, where we are finding ourselves under the razor's edge of Amalek. And Lord, I know that that's such a strange thing for some of us who have walked with you for so long, and then we say, well, how is it? How is it that, that I'm still battling this thing? Shouldn't I by now not battle this? Shouldn't I by this point be set free? But you warned us that at any given moment we want to back off and get to the back of the queue. Rephidim seeks that, the stragglers. And I pray for every believer in here, myself included, that you would give us that fervence, that heat, that fire for you. And in that fire for you, Lord, that we would seek to be surrendered, that you give us a fresh passion for your word, that you give us a fresh hunger for fellowship, that you'd give us a fresh fervence in prayer and a fresh fervence in love for one another for you and in that lord i just pray right now that you would take us lord and whatever changes need to happen where we've replaced you with the tangible lord for those things that need to be removed all and outright remove them for those things that just need to be put back in their place lord we've taken things you've given us that are good things but we've made them bad things in our hearts because we've tried to replace you with them lord put them back where they belong They could be back to just us and you. And out of the overflow of that relationship, we could be a blessing to those same people, those same things. And Lord, right now, if there be any in this room, and you would know who, who have not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. And today they know they need it by the power of your Holy Spirit that's spoken to them. Right now, if in this room you have not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, you're not sure you can be sure out of here. I ask you to pray this prayer with me right now. God in heaven, I confess to you I'm a sinner. And in that, I stand before you guilty in and of my own merits. But Father, I believe that you love me so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for every bit of my penalty. And in doing so, he died for me and rose again. And in raising for me, you offer me new life no longer under the bondage of my sin, no longer under the hand of the enemy, no longer in the land of slavery. But I could stand innocent before you, pure before you. And so I say yes. Yes to Jesus' his payment at the cross, confessing Him as my Savior and ransom. And yes to Him at the, at the empty tomb, confessing Him as my Lord. Make me that new creation you intend as I surrender to you in Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say Amen.